Hey, pioneers, welcome to episode number 356. On today's episode, we are going to be diving back into the world of cooking, I want to say non-conventional types and cuts of meat. And today we're specifically getting into rabbit, but it's kind of sad to say that rabbit is not conventional. I mean, for most of us, if you're buying your meat from the grocery store, which we raise most of our meat, rabbit doesn't happen to be one of them yet at the moment. But if you go to a grocery store, rabbit is not something, at least where I live, and I think probably speaking for most of Western modern society. It's not something that you typically see on the menu at a restaurant or that you're going to see available to buy at the grocery store. Now, I know country folk for a long time have been raising rabbit, and it's probably only in the last hundred years or so that it's not been something that families are used to having on the table and are used to knowing how to cook. So, that's what we're going to be talking about in today's podcast episode. But one of the parts of the conversation that I really enjoyed with today's guest is we also talked about the butchering part. Now, if if you are sensitive to that conversation, I still would actually urge you to, to listen to it because so are we. Those of us who are butchering our own meat and raising our own livestock to butcher, to be able to harvest it for the meat. Um, it's not an easy day, and I don't think it was ever intended to be an easy day or approached callously. So we actually we dive into that as well. There's a lot of good stuff in this episode. I think that you're really going to enjoy it, especially those cooking tips on rabbit. Today's podcast episode is sponsored and brought to you by Azure Standard. I found Azure Standard, I wish I had found them much earlier in life, but I found Azure Standard about two and a half years ago. I had honestly never heard of them before. They are a company that has actually been around for a long time, founded by David Stelzer. Let's spit that one out. But they converted their farm from conventional to all organic as they experienced radical and lasting improvements in their health, and they became convinced that organic eating was the key to healthy living. And that really mirrors a lot of my journey. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know, 13 years ago that that was really the catalyst that we already were doing a lot of elements of homesteading, but that really pushed us to go full on and much broader and raising as much of our own feet, just really getting in the deep end of the pool, so to speak. And that was because of the health issues that I had and experienced healing by changing over our food. So I love that they they know that intuitively. It's something that they've experienced. And really similar to me is to be able to offer and to have more and more people be able to have food that is grown in a way that is healthy too the land and is healthy to our bodies and is also healthy for the animals that is producing our our food sources. So I found them. What makes them unique is I feel like they have got more variety and everything falls under that non, you know, non-GMO. Sometimes some of it is certified organic, some of it is not, but it's all very natural based food items and in bulk. Items that I can't find 
at Costco. Like I actually can't find some of these items anywhere else except through Azure. They also partner with other small farms and small food producers. So I love that I'm getting to support that and how it works, how they're able to offer really great deals uh, companies and products, et cetera, and these bulk is you have a drop zone. So you'll go to the website. It's melissaknorris.com forward slash Azure, which is A as an Apple, Z as in zebra, U R E. So melissaknorris.com forward slash Azure. And you will put in your zip code and it will show you drop zones. So you place your order online and then it all gets packed on a truck. And most of the drop zones have a minimum order because that makes it viable if they're bringing, you know, a bunch of orders to one spot. And so you'll be what your drop zone where it is, the pickup day and time. And then you place your order. There's a cutoff time. And it's a little bit different. They're all across the country now. And it is a little bit different for drop zones. My particular drop zone, I can get weekly. Some of your drop zones will be monthly and some of them are every other week. So you'll see that the options will all come up when you pop in your zip code. But you place your order and then you go and pick it up. And it has just been really, really wonderful. Like I said, there's items that I can't find and source anywhere else. And it's also great because you're picking up your drop items and other people in your community who want food just like you do with those same, I want to say high quality, but it shouldn't be considered high quality to have food that is grown without synthetic pesticides and is done in a truly good manner. That should not be considered high quality. That should be just the way that food is done. But my whole point with that is you will meet people as well in your community that have those same food values and goals that you do and likely other values and goals as well. So it can actually be a way to find others around you in your community. So again, you could go and find out about them at melissaknorris.com forward slash Azure. And the other great thing is if you are a brand new customer with a $50 minimum order, you can use coupon code MKN10, MKN10, and get 10% off your first order. So we will have all of the links that I'm referencing and the coupon codes and everything in today's blog post that accompanies this episode. And you can always find that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 356, just the number 356, because it's episode number 356. Now, straight to today's episode. I have on today Erin and Nate from Two Chicks Homestead, which is out of North Central Illinois, and a really fun story about the name of their homestead that you'll get to hear in this episode. They live on a small half acre lot, but they are making the best of it and actually producing a lot of their own food. They have eight egg-laying chickens. They also have their meat rabbits, which you'll be hearing more about. They have two large gardens that produce a nice amount of harvest that they can can and preserve in many different ways. And you'll also hear they have a homestead. Obviously, they have a homestead. I meant to say they have a podcast where they talk about homesteading and living on a small piece of land. And they are both amateur radio operators. I think you are really going to enjoy them. So let's get straight to it. Well, Nate and Aaron, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Well, thank you for having us. We've been looking forward to this interview with you. Aaron and I are, you know, we have a half acre of land in Illinois. We raise rabbits, 
uh, chickens. Uh, we also homeschool our girls. We play a little bit of ham radio. So we're kind of into all the fun stuff. That does sound fun. No, I have to say, when I first saw the name of your guys's homestead and it said <laughs> two chicks homestead, I immediately thought two chicks like, you know, women. Yeah. <laughs> and then I read the name and I'm like, I don't think I have that quite right. So I would love to hear a little bit about how you guys ended up getting the name for your homestead. Yes, we had just moved into our current homestead. We have two daughters. And so we needed to sign up for something with our homeschool and we needed to have a name. And we had just gotten our chickens and it was like, okay, two chicks homeschool. And it just worked out perfect. And then it just kind of evolved from there. And We've kind of hit some bumps in the road along the way with the name that we kind of have to explain. But you know what? People remember it. Yep, exactly. It's one of those funny stories that we can now explain. And, you know, branding might not have been 100% on point, but it's still fun to talk about. It is. Well, it's a conversation starter. Like you said, whenever there's a story behind something, that's what we remember is we learned so well by stories. So, yes, it'll be very memorable now. Um, And I won't and we won't make the mistake of giving it the wrong (laughs) connotation there. So literally two chicks, chickens is how it started. Homestead. Very fun. Yeah, the the two daughters. It's named in honor of them. So and then we just had the chickens roaming around. So I love it. What it is. Yeah. Awesome. So one of the things that I really wanted to talk with you guys about today is raising rabbits for meat but more specifically on cooking rabbit. We've been doing a little bit of series with some of the, like, uh, you know, using offal and organ meat and some other types of wild game. And although you guys are raising rabbits, they're not wild rabbits for wild game. I'm finding that for a lot of folks who were, you know, raised in modern society, as it were, rabbit is not something that a lot of people come in contact with either, you know, eating it, being served it, because it's not something I've never seen it for sale at the grocery store, I should say. Um, and so the most of the time, they just have no experience with actually eating rabbit, let alone even cooking rabbit. But you guys do raise meat rabbits. So how long have you guys had the meat rabbits? We've had them for about two years now. Uh, we're on the, still the original. So we have a trio of breeders. We have one buck and two does. Um, what our buck is still our original buck along with one of the does, but we ended up replacing one of the does, um, earlier this year. Uh, we currently do, what is it about 40 rabbits a year, maybe somewhere around there. It's really like chicken. I mean, everybody hears you say that, but it really is like chicken. So that's kind of the nice thing about them. Now, with rabbit, out of curiosity, because I have eaten rabbit when I was a little girl, my uh, uncle actually raised rabbits. He was a paraplegic in a wheelchair, but because the hutches were elevated, that was Mm -hmm. a livestock that he could still do and he could access and he could butcher it, all of that. But when I, you know, I was pretty little. And so I I ate rabbit because they would bring rabbit to all like Easter and, and any get togethers that we would have as a larger extended family. But As far as, you know, cooking it or harvesting it, I, you know, I don't recall any of those things. So are there parts on the rabbit, like a chicken where you've got the breast meat that's white? And then of course you've got, you know, the, the, well, I should say if it's a heritage bred chicken, but you have dark meat. Is that the case with rabbit or is it just all one or the other? 
I would say that there's parts on that are definitely more tender, like the back meat, you can tell is like really tender. Yeah. Right yeah, the back but, straps. But really it's it's mostly all the same, I think. Yeah. I the best way to describe it, I would say would be between a chicken and a turkey. Yeah, it's got that grease to it. Right. But it's not overly greasy. Right. So it's kind of like a good mix between the two. If you like turkey and you like chicken, you're going to like all of rabbit because it's kind of a really good mix between the two. Yeah. Okay. So when you are processing the rabbits, like the butcher part, are you skinning them? Is there a way to remove the fur and leave the skin on? Or is it always something where you're just skinning them out? Sure. It's um. so what we do when we go to call we use something called a hopper popper. It's a piece of rebar bolted to a wall and we do cervical dislocation. And then we go through and we actually skin the rabbit. And skinning a rabbit is a lot easier than actually doing a chicken, like plucking a chicken and dealing with all that. It takes probably about two or three minutes to skin a rabbit out. Um, And it's really, the best way to describe it is like pulling off a wet sock. Okay. <laughs> that, that gave me a very good visual and I actually felt my foot <laughs> with a wet sock when he said that. So yeah, and that that is pretty fast. So then I'm going to sound silly though. So when I had rabbit, and again, this is going back actually quite a few years now to my childhood, it was like a fried chicken and it was crispy, but it must've had the skin removed. Would it just been the batter? Like you can still get that crispy flavor on it without even though it's been skinned right okay so you can still part it out and fry or do anything with those separate pieces yeah whenever we do rabbit we always skin them so they're not there's no skin on it it's just easier that way for us yeah and then do you like tan the fur do you do anything with the fur we actually have about 16 to 20 pelts in the freezer and that was on our list to do this year and we just haven't got around to it yet. So it is on our list to learn how to do it. We've been saving pelts of some of the prettier colors that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is definitely on our list of things to do. Same with the the rabbit feet. Yes. We change. We want to do that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, and I know there's only there's only so many hours in a day. And with home right. sitters, we have so many goals and interests. It is so hard uh, to pick which ones we have to focus on. So. With the rabbits, for you guys, at about what age are you generally butchering them? And then what's the approximate weight on, you know, one one rabbit at butcher time? Uh, so live weight, they're about five pounds, and that's at 12 weeks. So they go really quick. It's almost, you know, same cycle as uh, doing a chicken at eight weeks. Yeah. It's really quick. Dressed out, they're about three pounds, I would say. And that really depends on your breeds, like a Californian or a New Zealand or a silver fox is going to be about that size. If you get into like a Flemish giant, they're going to be a little bit slower growers, but they're going to be heavier. And their bone to uh, meat ratio is also going to be higher. So they're going to have more bones in them than they will meat. Okay. So... After you guys have butchered them and skinned them, then do you leave them whole and roast it whole? Or do you generally just cut it and part it out or a combination? 
we we leave them whole and then i usually end up either steaming them or in the crock pot i do a lot by majority of how i cook it is by cooking and then shredding and adding it to recipes or we do what we call a sloppy hoppy which is like a sloppy joe <laughs> or a barbecue chicken or a barbecue you know sandwich type meat okay yep. That is like going down in history. <laughs> sloppy, sloppy. I'm sorry. That just is cracking me up. Oh my gosh. That is funny. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So because of their size, you can get a whole rabbit, probably pretty easy in a slow cooker or an Instapot. Oh, then it's going to yes. be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I've gotten two mm-hmm. in them. If they're yeah, thawed out and, and able to move around. Okay. Yeah. And then similar to when like i'm cooking you know a whole chicken i'll save that carcass and then make bone broth out of it do you do the same thing with the rabbit carcasses yes and it is amazing it's very very good mm-hmm. oh. yeah we've done that a couple times mm-hmm. you, you just did a batch yep so at curiosity because usually with the chickens at least for me i either need to do two carcasses in order to get a good gel or throw in some of the chicken feet so with the rabbit carcasses do you find that you get a, a good gel and a lot of collagen with just one carcass or do you usually do two or what's that like i usually do at least two i'll put them in the freezer and just mark it as you know four broth and then once i have enough then i'll do two or three depending on how many i have ready to go with the okay and they do produce a pretty good gel too yeah yeah, oh, yeah. okay awesome you can tell i have not ever cooked with rabbit at all <laughs> no it's it's fine i mean we, we up until two years ago we were new to this like we had never so we're, we're city kids i grew up um downtown aurora or sorry downtown chicago in illinois um bigger you know some of the bigger cities is where i grew up and for us to come out here and do this has always been like a new thing so we're this was like our big learning thing was getting so, out of here and starting to play with rabbits. Okay. So I'm intrigued that it, without coming from this background, what made you decide to go with rabbits? And did you just learn from like watching YouTube videos or how did you, how did you learn how to actually, you know, go ahead and butcher them out and do all the processing? Well, we moved out here uh, in our spot right now. We're out in Hinkley, Illinois. Uh, it's a real small town, about 2,200 people. And we moved out here about four years ago just to kind of get our girls away from the bigger cities and let them, you know, grow up in more of a country setting. And we got the chickens. And then two years ago, Erin got a really great idea that she wanted to try doing some Cornish crosses. So we decided we'd go hunt for some Cornish crosses. Well, we couldn't find any at the store and it was taking a couple of months we were going and not being able to find them so i went down the youtube university route and through several other podcasters and heard about rabbits and that's when i decided to bring it to aaron and go let's try this instead and see how it works and that's kind of how we got into it and i said no at first yes you did say no at first You know, it's funny, like I have to say it, it's going to sound really silly because I was raised on a cattle ranch from the time I was a young girl. If my dad couldn't get the day off work when the butchers were coming, I was actually the one at, you know, 
nine, 10 years old that would meet the butchers and point out the cows that, that we would be butchering that day. And, you know, and then they would do the kill shots. And so I'm very used to raising livestock as your, as a meat source and doing everything as ethically as possible. Um, but still being a part of that process, you know, and knowing where my food came from, from a very, very young age. And then we do the meat birds uh, and have done them for a number of years now, uh, along with pork, but rabbits, I'm with Aaron, I'm with you. I <laughs> rabbits are the one thing I'm like, I don't know if I had to, yes, in a survival situation, I know I could, but right now I'm like, I think I would have a harder time butchering the rabbits than I would the meat birds. I think it's the cute factor. Like to me, a meat bird, when it's a little tiny chick, it's cute. But by the time it's ready to butcher, they ain't cute no more. But I feel like the rabbits, even as adults are still cute. So Aaron specifically, did you struggle with that a little bit at first or not really? I did. I definitely did. And I think it's because you go to the store and you see chicken all over the place. You don't see rabbits, like we said before, anywhere. And really, we didn't know anybody that was doing rabbit. And I remember telling Nate, I said, okay, fine, we can do it. But don't tell anybody. Like, we're going to seem like weirdos, you know, yeah. out here butchering fuzzy, cute pets. Yeah, exactly. So it took a long time to, to get used to it yeah and it still takes time for me to get used to doing it like the butcher day is not an easy day it it never is and if it ever is an easy day there's a problem mm -hmm. so it's just it's reality and the way i look at it you know we have our two girls one is nine and one is five and they spoil these rabbits you know like they're they're pets and really, they have one bad day. That's that's kind of how we look at it. But the girls are out there giving them treats, picking leaves, you know, dandelion leaves, going through our little garden that we have on the side of the house and picking stuff for them and taking it out to the cages to give to them. And yeah, it's they the girls are used to it by now, honestly. Yeah. And do the so, girls, do they help at all during the butchering process? Our oldest, who's nine, has a is really apprehensive towards blood, mm -hmm. and her tipping point, I think, is going to be this year. Mm -hmm. She's used something. She's right. more and more interested. Where the yeah. little one is like, oh, we're butchering today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our, our our little one is the one when we processed our first hog, was sitting in a chair next to the table watching us process the hog while eating popcorn. So, yeah, it's that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because, I, you know, like I said, I've been raised, raising and processing to different degrees my own food for my whole life. And then, of course, my husband and I, we've been married 23 years and butchering our own, like with the chickens and all of that. Oh, gosh, for, well, probably close to a decade now. And, and then our beef cattle even longer. And I'm with you, though. Butcher day is never easy. And I think sometimes there's a bit of a misconception. Like I've had people, you know, come to me because they know that we've been doing this for so long. And they're like, I still, I get upset on butcher day. Like I, I'm doing it because I believe if I'm going to eat meat, that this is the most ethical way to do it. And I'm taking personal responsibility, you know, and, and self-sustainability and giving the animals, you know, their best care. They're born or raised from a very young age. 
in one spot. They're not being trucked to processing plants, et cetera. But I still have an emotional time on butcher day, even though I get through it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. I think sometimes people are like, is there something wrong with me that I'm still emotional? Like, I think sometimes they think it just becomes something that you just kind of do. And it's just kind of, you know, blase, like, oh, it's butcher day. But I'm with you guys. I still get emotional. In fact, we butchered some meat birds just this a couple of months ago. And we had one, uh, we generally do all male meat birds just because they get to size a little bit faster and we just can process them all on one day. But we ended up getting a female, you know, they, it's hard to sex when they're that tiny. We ended up getting a female. And so she was growing slower. And I think she may have had some some other, you know, health issues as well. Long story short, I had to separate her out. And then we got some baby ducklings in. And so she was in the brooder with the baby ducklings, even though she was like three weeks older than them. But she acted like a mama hen to these little baby ducklings. She (laughs) she would let them come in and, you know, and snuggle up underneath her. She never pecked on them. They would just anyways, she was really great, but she was a Cornish cross meat bird. And as she got closer, you know, to what would be butcher time. Uh, you know how it goes, like they don't walk so well. You can't let them in most cases. I've heard a few anomalies, but in most cases, you can't let them grow out. Right. Um, right. You know, that that's not how they have been selectively bred. So when Butcher Day came and I kept telling myself did not get attached to this bird. But when Butcher Day came, I knew we had to dispatch her, but I had gotten attached. And so I <laughs> cried. I'm holding her feet you know, as, as the dispatch was happening in, in the cones and I'm looking at my husband and I'm just sobbing and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm crying. (laughs) And you know, I I laugh about it and not really laugh about it, but like, it was really hard, but I knew that we could not keep her alive. So even being very well seasoned, I think it's important that people understand that no, like we, it still is a very emotional time. And also like very respectful, which sounds odd to someone who's never butchered animals. I think, I don't think until you've experienced it, you can really understand it. Like really how deep of an emotional level is involved. Right. And I know that we have friends and why do this, like, how can we be so mean to do this? And yet they're eating meat from the grocery store that was probably raised in some factory and mm-hmm. not cared for like our, or anything that you can just buy right absolutely i mean our our girls take really good care of the animals we have here and if there's any problems they know about it and they also are the ones to go around and show everybody how we do things here like they're not afraid to go walk around and show their friends the rabbits and if their friends have questions they're on top of it and explain it to them exactly what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've had to go down to some of the neighbor's parents and say, we're really sorry that our daughters told your kids that we process animals here at home and eat them. (laughs) How have been the reception when that happens from other parents? It was actually really good. Yeah. Was it good? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. We have a couple families here that are, that, definitely know everything we're doing here and actually are very interested in what we're doing um so it's it's kind of a nice icebreaker mm-hmm. to be able to sit down and talk with them about it yeah and it's interesting too with the girls because like you said you know the one isn't quite ready to help yet and we kind of always approached it from the way with my kids that they always knew even when they were little that the cows were for meat and when we were eating mm-hmm. 
we haven't pushed them to actually do that part. Like they may have to help with actually, you know, packing the meat or packaging it up and putting it in the freezer, et cetera. They've actually always been fine with it. And in the same thing, like they have a deep respect. And if one of the animals gets sick or something before actual processing day, like they take care of those animals so good, but they understand what, what their purpose for and, and they're fine with helping. And so I think it's really great that your girls, like you said, they know where their food is coming from. And then when they're you know old enough to decide if they're going to help or not, you're kind of letting them make that decision with how they feel. But I think, I think where I'm going with this is I think that is it a society we do a really big disservice when we hide reality from children. Like there's kids that literally don't know where, which sounds crazy, but they don't understand that the chicken on their plate actually came from a chicken. They think it comes from the right. grocery store. They don't have that that connection. Right. I remember a couple of years ago, Aaron told mentioned that somebody she knew said it was the eggs thought they came from a cow because they're in the dairy section. Right. Oh. I mean, I, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, this was an adult. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was an adult. Okay, it's a kid. Yes. It's cute. It's an adult. It, it, that's yeah. a little discon. That's kind of concerning. Yes. Yes. I mean, this was like a 30, 35 year old adult. This was not like an 18 year old adult. So, yeah, I think that just goes to show how far removed Mm -hmm. most of modern American or modern society, however, Western society, et cetera, really has become from their food. Right. Right. Yeah. So back to I know we went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I always like to have these discussions with other families who are butchering and do have young kids and especially for people like you who have come into this um, not being raised in that lifestyle, I think it's really, really good. So with the rabbits and you are you, so when you're going to package them in the freezer, I know you said you guys usually do them whole, which is usually how we do our meat birds as well. Are you vacuum sealing them? Or are you just wrapping them up really well with butcher paper or what's your process for the freezer? Yep. We vacuum seal them yep. in the, the plastic. Yeah. It's, it's the cut, the cut to length rolls that we get. And then we have a, uh, the food saver i think it's like a 4800 series that we use and that works out pretty good i think we've had one bag break over the couple of years yeah. we've done it so okay and then so when i know you said a lot of times that you are you know using the instant pot or a slow cooker to kind of give it that nice long slow cook so that you can shred it and then mix it in with stuff um do you do you ever do you ever roast it or do you find it just the textures and tenderness is so much better doing those other methods that's just how you typically tend to rely and and only use that way when you're cooking it the first one we ever made we roasted it in like a wine sauce Mm -hmm. in our in our cast iron um, just so that we knew this is what like i don't think i'd ever had rabbit before right so we wanted to know like right just so that we could kind of have a base and i didn't really care for it and i feel like it didn't stretch as much like we ate that whole rabbit that night right where then when i shred it i can add it isn't it three meals instead of just right. one yeah, absolutely like we can use it in like a pasta dish dishes something like that pot or yeah or pot pies like that is one of the favorite things that we do is the pot pies even for our neighbor um we'll tr- we'll trade some stuff out for him and make him like a rabbit pot pie or something mm-hmm. and then the, the girls seem to like it a little bit better because it's in 
their favorite meals. Yeah, totally understand that. It's a little bit different when it's a shredded meat versus still in the the whole form. Right. Right. So like if if we did the whole form, we actually we we smoked two rabbits. What was it last year, I think? And they didn't go as far. Like we we ate both of those that night. So that was two rabbits in one night where we'll make like chicken Alfredo or chicken pot pie with rabbit. And that'll go two, maybe three meals. So. Okay. And then I know you said going back that it does actually have fat in the meat, probably a little bit more so than just a regular meat bird. Would you say it's a, maybe a little bit greasier or or about equivalent? I would say it's probably about the same. Okay. Yeah. It's not, it's not overly greasy. It has a little bit of a different, like it's, yeah. it's all dark meat almost. Yeah. I would agree with that. Mostly dark meat. Okay. It's, usually when we go to process the animal, there's not a lot of fat on actually on the rabbit. They're pretty lean because we keep them, you know, we, we keep them fed well, but they're usually running around like crazy in the cages. So we have big four foot wide cages for them. It works out really good. So do you feel like the meat being the dark meat, does it ever have a little bit of a Gamey is not quite the right word because I know it's a domesticated meat, you know, that being raised in that way. But do you, does it ever have a little bit of a gamey flavor or just more like dark meat that you would normally anticipate if you're eating, you know, dark meat out of turkey, et cetera? I really think it's just like dark meat. But yeah. Turkey doesn't really have a signature. Right, right. To, to me, when I hear the word gamey, that's flavors that people have never had before. And that's like, like people would call venison gamey, mm-hmm. but that's, a flavor to me so that's it's something that i'm not used to but it's really good meat because it's not like beef or pork that you get from the store where there's like no flavor to it yes yeah i agree and anything in my experience i should say that we have had where we've raised it ourselves, or even from another farmer like when my dad raised beef and in the beginning of our marriage we got beef from my dad before we started our own herd uh, but it was you know homegrown i have always found it to be more flavorful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and we we get a little bit of grass fed every once in a while we get pasture pork too from one of the farmers in town so that's yeah. that's always like the highlight of the year is being able to do that hog year at home. Oh, that's yeah. Fun. So with the rabbits, I'm assuming this is pretty much the case for any animal, you know, hunted, domestic, et cetera. But you letting it go through rigor mortis or having a resting period after you've butchered it before you cook it. And I know with larger game, that's even a bigger thing. But with the meat rabbits on calling day, processing day, butchering day, whichever moniker you want to give that. Uh, after you butcher and gut and skin, are you holding them on ice or in the fridge for a couple of days? Or are you immediately packaging and then putting in the freezer? Or what's that process like? Usually when we go to process, we'll process them. And then I'll have a cooler out in the garage, half with ice and half with water. And then we'll leave them on there for about two or three hours. Uh, bring them in, then fr- vacuum seal them, and then put them in the fridge for about a day maybe 24 hours and then they'll go into the freezer from there okay so, so they are really quick yeah and w- but with that time frame they would most likely have went all the way through rigor mortis so then they're not 
they're not it the meat's not tough then when you go to cook it after you've frozen them and and thought it and brought it out yeah 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 the the only time i've ever messed up a rabbit like it tasting weird is not properly cleaning all the glands that's the only time i've ever goofed one up and i and you can taste it like they're the glands on their hindquarters if you don't get those out you will taste it is that where they like excrete extra oil kind of like the preening glands on a chicken and rabbits have the same oh interesting i didn't know that I, yeah, I told you I don't know anything about rabbits. I didn't realize that rabbits had the same type of oil glands um, and the importance of removing those so it doesn't flavor yeah, the meat, as you're it, saying. Okay. It's it's more of a, like a scent gland, I mm. would say. Okay. And it's kind of, it's right around their butt. I mean, that's, that is what it is. Yeah. And it'll give like kind of a musk flavor to the rabbit itself if you don't get that removed. Okay. We've, had, we've had that happen maybe two or three times. It was times. in the beginning. We were still learning. Yeah. Yeah, but I've gotten really good about getting that and getting those out of there. Yeah, I think it only takes one time for you to make an error like that, and then you're really cognizant of getting it to right the next time. Oh, yes. Yes. Because, I mean, it's like you spend all this time raising the rabbit, you go to butcher it, you mess it up, but it tastes funny. It's like, well, darn, that's not fun. <laughs> it doesn't taste right and i've wasted all of that time so you just get you get better at doing what you do on trial and error and we're yeah. big on youtube university yes <laughs> i've learned learned a lot i have to say i'm with you there i've learned a lot of things over the years from the internet and youtube as well when it comes to and this is something i've noticed the most i have to say with our pigs but i'm curious if you've noticed this at all or played with this at all with raising the rabbits, have you noticed with what you feed them or changing the feed at all that it in any way enhances certain flavors within the meat or not really? Not really. Uh, they're mostly on a pellet diet and then they get whatever greens that the girls scavenge around the yard. Dandelion leaves and lettuce and kale. That's what the girls will go around and pick and then just throw in there and they'll eat that a bunch of grass here and there so but yeah we haven't really experimented with that yet we started doing a kind of like a rabbit herb garden on the side of our house Mm -hmm. Um, but we haven't really gotten that far with it this year yeah well when you do i would be super curious to see if you do notice any any difference with that like i said i haven't really myself noticed noticed it with the chickens but i have I have definitely with our pigs and I know a lot of times like with dairy animals, you know, the milk will be sweeter if they're eating, you know, fresh grass and sweet words, if they're in like a lot of shrubs and eating a lot of things like nettles and different things like that, it can make the, the milk have a different flavor, but I haven't ever noticed it with our poultry either. So I'm not sure. I'll be very curious to see if you ever do with the rabbits or not. Yeah. We'll have to try that out sometime and see how it goes. It'd be uh, very interesting to try it. Yeah. Well, when it comes to cooking rabbit, I know you guys have kind of shared your your favorites and the ways to make them definitely stretch to feed, to get more use out of them. Are there any other favorite uh, recipes or tips or anything at all that you'd like to share? Our favorites are just the comfort meals, the pot pies. We do rabbit and dumplings. We do pretty much anything, barbecue rabbit pizzas. I mean, anything that you would really do with chicken. And it kind of blows people's minds when you say you just eat it like chicken because we're in a lot of rabbit groups and they're like 
what do I make with this rabbit? And it's like, well, what do you like with chicken? They're like, oh, well, all this stuff. And it's like, well, do that. Yep. Try it out. Just sub it in. I yeah. like it. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on today. For those who would like to follow along with more about what you're doing and with the rabbits and your guys's half acre that sounds amazingly productive for for a, you know, a backyard, basically, where's the best spot for people to connect and follow along with you? We are at twochickshomestead.com and you can find us on Facebook and TikTok. We're trying to get into YouTube, but we haven't done that yet. We're on Float and you can just see everything there that we post. Yep. And then we do a weekly podcast as well. Uh, it usually comes out Wednesdays and you can find that on all the major players. That's Two Chicks Homestead podcast. And then uh, if anybody ever has any questions about rabbits, they are welcome to shoot us an email at info at twochickshomestead.com. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming on. And we'll have all the links that you mentioned in the blog post and show notes that accompanies today's episode. So thank you guys so much for coming on, as well as the girls. They were very quiet. Hardly heard them sneak in there. <laughs> Well, if you'd like, you are always welcome to ask one of them a question about rabbits. I'm sure they would answer it. Oh, yeah. So, girls, what is your favorite part about raising rabbits? My sister, my dad, and me own a rabbit. <laughs> That's my favorite. I like that. You're going with the ownership, claiming it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for having us. It's been great talking with you. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I got some good nuggets from there. I am super excited to be back here with you next week where I have a really... I'm going to try. I can't spill the beans yet, but it's a really, really amazing episode. So until then, blessings in mason jars for now, my friends. Mm -hmm.